0: Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Okay, so joining us today is uh, DILG Undersecretary Jonathan Malaya, who is also the spokesman for the department. Thank you for joining us in this podcast. Thank you, Christian. Thank you for having me. Okay, we, we know that the DILG plays a crucial role in the government's campaign against the communist insurgency. We know that the government, specifically President Rodrigo Duterte, has ordered the military to finish off the uh, communist insurgency. So we don't know the time frame when. W- when is that expected? And can you actually finish finish off the the communist
1: insurgency? Well, our military leaders are optimistic that we'll be able to finish uh, the communist insurgency off, uh, because by their estimates, there's a little like four thousand um, armed combatants um, in so many guerrilla fronts across the country. But really, that has been the situation before because it I think in the 80s they reached more than 10,000 that was the height of their power that was the height of their power uh, especially during the martial law period and immediately thereafter Uh, during the uh, after the Edsa Revolution that was really the height of their power but it was um, all downhill for them and then it plateaued at this this number no.
0: So this, the, 4,
1: so this is the so this is the plateau number here. Yes, it's no. a plateau number, but when you talk about the communist insurgency, um, you're really talking about a bigger um, what you call me- uh, organism than just the armed regulars because meaning it's just the NPA, one comp- yeah. Yes, meaning the NPA because it's just one component. There's actually three. The Communist Party of the Philippines, the New People's Army, the armed component, and the political component, which is the National Democratic Front. And the National Democratic Front has uh, two types of organizations the above ground organizations and the underground mass organizations. And it is this NDF that does the mass base building, which then uh, contributes to army building and party building. Now, when we talk about mass base building, This is the operations which they do in what they call as the white areas, in the urban areas, which then fuel the insurgency um, in the mountains. So the reason why we have not been able to fully um, defeat the insurgency is primarily because of our penchant to simply looking at the 4,000 number. The NPA. The NPA. So,
0: So when the president said finish off the communist insurgency, is talking about the entire organism?
1: Um, I would guess so because uh, I, I it doesn't stays it doesn't s- state specifically in the executive order he that they didn't say it directly to us but if you want to finish it off you will have to dismantle all of the apparatus of the entire organism which includes the NPA which includes the NPA and NPA is just one component
0: now how does the government intend to do that because a lot of people might be cynical about it given that how do you actually wipe out an ideology that has been here for so long and uh, which has led to a lot of problems for the for any sitting government
1: but we know that there are legitimate concerns and root causes That's a good question because it's always been asked. No? I think the Communist Party of the Philippines and the New People's Army is the last remaining Communist uh, armed movement in the world uh, in addition I think to the Shining Path in Peru because the ones in um, Colombia have already surrendered the so there's just two more <laughs> it's just us and them so if you look at and and poverty is everywhere No, there are countries which are poor and yet they do not have a communist insurgency what is in the situation in the Philippines which allows them to at least stay, um, exist, you know, if land not, pro- land problem. If not necessarily inequality. grow, yeah, it's really as I said the mechanism they have, you no, know? the mechanism um, that they have. wherein they have um, a pool of cadres in the they have a a pool of cadres in the white areas. Uh, they have all of this support and financial. Support which they get, which they feed to the uh, armed regulars uh, in the mountains, um, and these organizations in the white areas no, are allowed to exist because they are using legal mechanisms or fronts or or fronts. No, um, that so you, so has that ta- has been their secret.
0: So you're talking here of an efficient organizational system. Yes, it that, is. Yes, that recruits and produces armed combatants or those who are actually appearing in legal fronts. That's right. Okay. Let,
1: let, me, let, let me show this to you, Christian. You know, uh, because I came from the University of the Philippines. There's the League of Filipino Students. You know? There's the People Service Corps. There's the Center for Nationalist Studies, LFS. These, these three organizations in UP, and I was once part of one organization there, um, they don't really recruit you immediately and say that you can be an NPA. It doesn't work that way. No. And the way they organize is that um, if you want to go to and join rallies, to join the LFS. If you want to think about feeling scholar, you join the CNS. If you want to serve the people, join the PSC. But it's all part of the same um, organization. The LFS per se, if there are 100 members of the LFS in a certain chapter, only three or five uh, would be me- party members. Party meaning? Communist Party. of The, the Philippines. Communist Party. Yes. Okay. okay. How about um, the
0: others? How are they classified? The
1: others have no idea. They don't know that uh, the organization is controlled by the CPP. They just go to rallies. They understand that it's it's for nationalism. They understand it's to fight against uh, militarization, quote and so, so they see themselves as uh, honest to goodness activists. Exactly, patriots, honest to good, uh, honest to goodness activists and then if the if the cpp uh, and the party sees potential in you you get promoted and then you're then you become a member of the party so you're talking here of deeper indoctrination yes so they look and, for possible mm-hmm. recruits yes and they have perfected this for the past 50 years and they utilize and this is re- this is what is called as uh, revolutionary jewel tactics no both elements supporting one another so you will not hear for example uh, uh, those who are with the NDF talking about armed struggle you will never hear them um, mentioning that but those on the other side will um, mention armed struggle but they're all part of the one single organism so again the question is why have they um, perpetrated themselves for the past 50 years and why have they existed for the past 50 years. There it's must be a precisely this, It's precisely this uh, organism uh, which they have created through time which allows them so even if even if uh, armed, even if police forces or military forces decimate a guerrilla front there's always a fresh supply of new cadres. There's always financial support. There's always so, so that's one. The other one the other reason for the, uh, of course, is legitimate grievances. There's injustice, there's um, the land problem, you no, know, which they exacerbate. So they use truth and exaggerate the truth to discredit government and to discredit government programs. For example, if government builds a road to the mountains, you no, know, the perspective of government is we're building the road to bring development. But the perspective of the, of the NPA would be we don't like that road because that road is a project of the old congressman who is corrupt and that road is uh, the project of a contractor <laughs> yeah. and you're using uh, a government project simply for corruption.
0: Of course, that's one mm-hmm. example, but you have other instances wherein the grievances are le- really legitimate. Exactly. Yes. Meaning uh, land grabbing by, mm-hmm. by, by moneyed mm-hmm. individuals. I mean, of course, you could give credit to the communist movement for that efficient recruitment system, but you cannot de- deny the fact that there are legitimate reasons that
1: fuel this recruitment. Agree. Um, the poverty in the Philippines, the inequality, uh, as you mentioned, land grabbing, the land reform problem are all. Uh, Problems which fuel the insurgency, but to argue that it is the single reason would be um, not would, would would be not correct because there are so many countries in the world that have poverty and yet they do not have a communist insurgency. But we have a different context here in the Philippines. Yes, but we it's the same. You know, poverty is poverty everywhere. Um, uh, our neighbors have the same tropical climate, have the same political conditions as, as we do. No? So why do we have that? Because of the legitimate grievances. And also another reason is the apathy of the government bureaucracy mm. towards fighting the communist insurgency. It's like, it's part and parcel of, we've somehow come to accept that it's part and parcel of Philippines, Philippine governance. So, what do local government officials do during election time? They have arrangements with the with with the communist insurgents. So they accept the fact that they will have to deal with this communist uh, exactly, rebels. Exactly. Exactly. And it's and it's weird because um, some of them are just here for for funds. Some of the communist rebels are now here for funds. No? many of them cannot just leave the uh, in the the rebe- the rebellion cannot leave the rebel movement because. It's always been their practice that if you leave, they'll, they'll uh, neutralize you. So they're there, they're stuck there, and there's money involved. The talks are over. No more talks. Where do they source their funds? One of the major uh, sources of funds is revolutionary taxation. Yeah, aside from that, yung other sources? The greater part is uh, revolutionary taxation. Rev-taxes.
0: Because um, th- their perspective is this, we have a civil war mm-hmm. and there is an actual parallel government in the countryside. Mm-hmm. That's their perspective. So to them, the collection of these revolutionary taxes are, is basically legitimate in their
1: perspective. But technically they have very few areas that they can control completely. Most of the areas uh, wherein they collect revolutionary taxes are simply on the basis of threat and intimidation. So we're talking about, um, in Masbate, for example, they have very few barangays that they control 100%. You know, they come, they go, it's affected, but it's not controlled. So in Masa- Masbate, for example, major government projects there are subjected to uh, CPP and pay taxation. And the contractors uh, pay up to the, to, the, to the NPA as part of the cost of doing business. Like, like how much? In terms of percentage of a project, sometimes as a large as three percent of a project of a government project of a government project. So, so
0: because there's a de facto, uh, not just presence, eh, but can that be considered as a de facto
1: uh, government in place? No, 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 no. That's that's my point. That's my point. They have very few um, areas which they control directly. Most some are just affected. No, they're very few, and yet they're able to do this because it people have become um immune no have become apathetic they they just, they've accepted they've it they accepted it they just considered they just considered mm-hmm. it as the cost of doing business but but how what about the police presence or army presence there Uh yes so you know sometimes the mentality of people is that oh, let's just pay up rather than you know you need to keep on looking uh uh lo- looking off your shoulder to you know to um if there are threats to your life. They could burn your project. Which is what happened, for example, with the Bicol uh, International Airport. You know? Because of the contractor's determination not to pay, um, the uh, NPA rebels uh, burned some of the heavy heavy we equipment. equipment you know? I remember there was also this one
0: story. This, there was this uh, retired politician mm-hmm. in an NPA-infested province, somewhere in the Visayas. He told me before, that there's certain barangays there, certain villages, where the, the residents actually uh, subscribe to the justice system of the NPA, simply because they find the actual justice system of the Philippine government very slow and tedious. So if you want to look for accountabilities, you want to go after someone who did something wrong to another
1: person, they go uh, automatically to the NPA. Yes. Why is that? I've heard of that myself. You know because of the failure of government to bring development to these areas. But you know, uh, Christian, it's a chicken and egg situation. Government precisely cannot bring development to those areas because of the control of the NPA. Uh, for example, um, due to the construction of the South Samar um, circumferential Road, which will connect uh, Katbalogan uh, to Basay Samar and then to Giwan, Eastern Samar. Eastern Samar Projects there were constantly harassed and intimidated by the um, New People's Army and their front organizations. Now there's, but it was finished. So now we have that road um, functioning. But they always try to discredit any government project uh, and characterize it as um, uh, anti, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a corrupt project anyway. So why support it? Because, the, ulti- have,
0: because the ultimate goal is to bring down.
1: Yes. The government. Yes. Because the ultimate goal is bring Court government. And they always say that, you know, when... when, And they're threatened by it because any road that comes in will bring in government troops as well. Mm. Okay. So that's, the, that's such a threat to them. So they will fight this off completely. So where will the barangay captain or where will the people go? They will go to the New People's Army because... Precisely because um, the New People's Army or the Communist Party would not want development to happen. This is also happening now in Samar because we're now building a road from northern Samar to eastern Samar now, the northern part. And again, the contractor there has been harassed numerous times by the New People's Army. So it's a chicken and egg situation, Christian. Destroy the Communist Party of the Philippines, including its legal fronts and infrastructure.
0: So we have this very complicated situation involving the communist insurgency, and now you have this order by the president. So how does he intend to, to finish off or to wipe out this insurgency? Or is it talking simply about crippling the, the movement itself, not entirely wipe it out?
1: It could be interpreted that way. Uh, to cripple it will already be a significant uh, accomplishment on the part of government. But what differentiates this approach from the approach before is I think this is for the first time a whole of nation approach. It's a whole of government approach. I, I myself have been in government Christian for a long time, and I was an assistant secretary in the Department of Education for some four or five years before I transferred to the DILG. We were in in the ed is supposed to be at the front line of um, defeating this communist insurgency supposed to be if we think about it because what is the role of DepEd? It's to shape the minds of young people to insulate them or inoculate them from uh, harmful ideologies and harmful thinking and ensure that education is delivered to all barangays in the country and yet when I was there I never heard of any project relating to uh, anti-insurgency. We were never told that we have a role but now under this EO70 the people in the Department of Education suddenly realized, oh, we have a role. So, so what's the difference now under EO70? Well, Let's say specifically when it comes to the Department of Education. Well, um, number one is for the Department of Education to strengthen its citizenship program, love of country, nationalism, and respect for the rule of law and discipline. And number two, to not to give, not to give uh, permits to schools that are ostensibly giving education but are in fact using materials developed by the Communist Party of the Philippines uh, having their own national anthem having their own uh, curriculum uh, having uh, books done by Ibon Foundation yeah. which are They're contrary think the think that which are contrary to government, which are contrary to uh, the regular curriculum of the entire Philippines of course. and this mm-hmm. the, it happened in Dabao through the Salugpungan schools. Uh-huh. You're and permits also, were issued by the Department of Education. And some
0: of these, of course, are the Lumad schools in question. Yes. Now, how many schools are we talking about here? I don't have the figures right now. No. They more or less. Um, and
1: how could they operate using a different curriculum? Exactly. That's my point, Christian. Uh, when we say anti-insurgency in the past, it's always been police problem, AFP problem. Other government agencies have no role whatsoever. So usually it was a military approach? It was a purely military approach. Now, people are realizing, oh, in defeating this communist insurgency, you have to look at all the components, the armed, the political, and the ideological. And more importantly, to address the why. And to address the why, yes. And to address that why, we have this, what we call as the uh, RCSP, which is the retooled Community support program, which is what I was reading <laughs> before. RCSP. Yes. Okay, what is this about? The RCP the RCSP puts the local government at the forefront of defeating the insurgency in the area. No longer the military. RCSP stands for Retooled Community Support Program. Program. Okay. Okay. So the local government unit has the primordial responsibility and leads the implementation. Of the government's programs in that specific area. And the role of the AFP and the PNP is now uh, limited to giving support to the local government. No? What we did was we classified all of the barangays to um, controlled barangays, I think the, the word was, and the other one is the affected barangays. Well, it's not infested. Oh, all right. Siguro <laughs> um, AFP, it escapes me now the terminology. But there's the affected barangays, and the influence barangays. No. So what's the difference? I think the affected barangays is uh, it is the really it, it's out there in the hinterlands. There's no government presence. Well, the affect the influence barangays are they just come and go, whenever they want to, and then they can recruit. Okay, uh, so in, affected in those barangays, barangays and influence barangays. Worse compared yes. to influence barangays. Yes. Yes. Okay. And we've classified all those barangays. Like how and many? Uh, around 400 of them. We've identified 400 barangays across the country. How many of 470 those? 470 something. Yeah. How many of those villages
0: are classified as influenced and affected? I can
1: give you that data later.
0: <laughs> Pero to combine numbers, from 470. Combined, yeah,
1: combined numbers.
0: We're talking about 42,000 something mm-hmm. barangays in the Philippines. So minimal to. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, yes. so how will this work, RCSP?
1: Well, um, well, the the context is. The farmers, no. It's really about recruiting the farmers and rec- recruiting the Lumads, because when they recruit, it's really mostly uh, four uh, sectors. It's the farmers and the Lumans. no. It's the youth, right, where Joma Season and most of them came from. It's the labor sector, and uh, I think the women, the women sector. So, it's the f- it's those four sectors uh, where they, they they recruit on on. On the part of the farmers, um, many of the farmers live in far-flung barangays. Uh, they're vulnerable to the uh, ideological, political, and organizing work. So we want to empower the local government because the local governments are really at the forefront. No, they're at the front line. So we want them to take the lead. Before it was a military problem, let the military handle it. You want the local governments to come in. Now there is a, a shift a shift in paradigm in the way we address uh, conflict uh, in our country from a militaristic uh, approach. Uh, view, approach of uh, solving conflict into a more civilianized uh, approach. Okay, you, you mentioned
0: this uh, these sectors, the youth, the farmers, the women, mm-hmm. they're considered
1: as the most vulnerable sectors or groups the, when the, it comes the, to possible recruitment? Those are the sectors that they... Uh, based on their ideology, they target. They target. Okay.
0: Now, of course, technically, under our system in the Philippines, being a communist is not a crime. Yes. Because the anti-subversion law had long been repealed. Mm-hmm. But in this case, uh, does it risk somehow classifying uh, the fact that someone embraces that ideology as already committing a crime?
1: No. No. The crime happens when you ask for the overthrow of government or you take up arms. So it's that's that's really the secret for their success because they're hide neither here, neither here nor there. So how do you deal with that? By um, bringing development to the areas, and by the, to the areas that are directly affected by what they do. And number two, by um, propaganda work, counter propaganda work, because okay. it's really about the narrative. Mm. What they do is they exaggerate the truth, so we want to use the truth as well to show to them that there's really nothing to be gained from this false ideology and lost ideology and that government is doing what it can to alleviate the situation.
0: Now, uh, will this whole of government approach under President Duterte also go after, let's say, left-leaning lawmakers or what they call progressives? Well, um, because sometimes listening to pronouncements from the government, it seems that it's very hard to distinguish between legitimate dissent, left-leaning organizations or personalities, and of course, the underground forces?
1: It depends upon how you define um, go after Christian. No? Because if you talk about going after them, arresting them, then we're not gonna do that unless they do any overt act. Okay. The party-list congressmen are members of Congress, yeah. and they have to be afforded uh, respect uh, as, as members of Congress. But we know what they represent, and we know what they're doing. So we will have to go through the regular process, uh, law enforcement process, if we want to stop them from doing what they do. So until and unless they do some an overt act, and we cannot do anything, what we can do is to bring development to the provinces. What we can do is to counter propaganda what they do, because they're very good at propaganda. Um, just very recently, the issue was nila. For example, the death of the PMA cadet in uh, Baguio, Uh, the National Union of Students of the Philippines, which we know is uh, Mm -hmm. allied, immediately came up with a statement that it's a um, reflection of the government's uh, macho attitude and uh, uh, of repression and all of that, connecting a isolated pma hazing incident, which has been going on (laughs) and characterizing as as a reflection of government policy specifically Duterte policy. So but you cannot prevent them because that's their propaganda. Exactly. So what we can do is to counter propaganda. We, we, the government has to flex its muscles more. Government has to improve its communications program Are you to lo- discredit the propaganda of the left. Are they winning the propaganda? No. They're not winning. As a matter of fact, they're losing. Because of the EO70, because of the whole-of-nation approach, you can feel it. The, they're panicking because the approach now has been through different sectors. We, we before it was the, it was just them who filed cases. Now we are filing cases as well. You know, like like what cases? Well, um, there were cases filed uh, for perjury by Secretary Lorenzana, and uh, there was a preliminary investigation done at the Department of Justice.
0: Oh. because I think one fear in this uh, whole of government approach is that you might also. Uh, go after legitimate activists. Those who have legitimate grievances, they're not necessarily part, secretly, of the Communist Party of the Philippines because it strikes fear in the heart of legitimate activists.
1: Yes. Uh, Christian, there may be some people who will be afraid of that uh, precisely because uh, they know what they're doing. (laughs) They know that they're straddling uh, the middle of uh, legitimate dissent and uh, Underground. And, uh, underground so both mainstream and underground yes, at the same yes, time yes so they are fearful about they're fearful about it so what they do is they characterize whatever government does as repressive and militarization a case in point for example the UP issue no when um, the philippine national police cara- um, made a suggestion that uh, there must be um, police officers that there must be police officers on campus? Uh, in campus that there must be an effort of government uh, to stop communist recruitment in the University of the Philippines. They characterized it as an attack on student activism academic freedom and academic freedom and, and a militarization of militarization of uh, the campuses. campus. Let's talk about militarization. There was no plan whatsoever to deploy troops and uh, uh, police forces. We, we don't have enough police forces to to uh, assign to other places, why would we assign them to the University of the Philippines? So there, there was no plan whatsoever insofar as militarization is concerned. Uh, academic freedom, uh, w- how is academic freedom defined? Academic freedom is defined as the authority of the school to teach what they want and discuss what they want. There's no plan for the, for the Philippine government to... Dictate on what the University of the Philippines wishes to explain and so, to so what teach exactly students.
0: Mean, so, what exactly was the intention? It was a propaganda war.
1: What did the police, the PNP intend to do? The intention. When that, in, when, when that suggestion was made? The intention really was to make the University of the Philippines a marketplace of ideas. Right. Meaning, like how?
0: To, meaning, to, to allow
1: more policemen on campus? No, no, no. To allow government to explain its side. Because uh, there has been a monopoly of thinking. And how? Of uh, how would they do that, to allow the police dialogues. to dialogues. explain itself? Yes, the 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 approach was supposedly dialogues for police officers, at the DILG and um, other government agencies to go to the University of the Philippines and explain how uh, outdated this ideology is that it's just. Um, but you are being lured into something that you do not completely understand, okay. that this is what happened to this student. This is what happened to this student. He just joined the LFS, and then later on, he was caught in a crossfire. He was already with, uh, bringing a gun.
0: But, but, but don't you have other avenues for that? Because, of course, we can also understand the, the concern of those who would like to protect academic freedom. When you have the state itself, or the bureaucracy, or the government, or the state forces, wanting to get uh, greater influence on campus. Somehow can't we trust, let's say, the the professors, the curriculum, to just present all sides
1: and let the student make the choice for himself? You know, it was not us that raised this issue. It was the parents who were complaining. You know, the parents went to the Senate and then all of a sudden everybody outside of the university of the Philippines, started to realize that something was happening. We did not know this. If you don't go to the state, if you did not study in a state university or in a campus where the uh, leftist organizations are are, uh, prevalent, you wouldn't know that this is the approach. So we just wanted to open the eyes of the students that this is what could happen. There was really no, uh, you know, there's so many problems of the Philippines that we don't want to focus on a single campus, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Well, but, but do you think the, the recruitment by the, uh, by the communist
0: rebels, let's say the NPA or let's say the front organizations, uh, has become more,
1: more serious? Now, actually, it's the same. Under this administration? Actually, it's the same. It's just that the parents um, raised the issue and the parents want government to act. It's, it's, it, that was the dynamic. But it became characterized as militarization and an attack on student freedom and uh, academic freedom and an attack on student activism. But, but, but you
0: should have anticipated that because that was that was no secret that that's how the narrative would be framed.
1: Uh, no, um, common, anene, they always echo those lines. about No, militarization. but not not but not militarization. No, not militarization, you know. But again, you're right in a sense because they always exaggerate. They exaggerate. Uh, the truth, you know, um, they have a morsel of truth, they'll exaggerate it and paint uh, government in the baddest light possible. Mm-hmm. This season, sir, but you, you are sick. You are not dying but you are seriously sick. Would you be happy to see and to die? that there is peace in this country before you finally close your eyes.
0: Now let's talk about the organization itself, the National Democratic Front of the Philippines, which of course is, or used to negotiate with the the, Duterte administration with the Philippine government. But of course we don't know the status. What's the status really? The end, really, of uh, of, of the peace talks? Formal peace talks?
1: I think so. Okay. Yeah, because the government, because the president already issued an executive order, terminating the peace talks, so there's and disbanding this so dismantling. So there's really no turning back. Okay. The approach now is the local peace uh, engagement. Is it working? Yes, uh, we just saw this uh, in the recent surrender and decommissioning of 700 rebels, former members of the New People's Army, which, on, which uh, have since broken away from the NPA and formed the RPA. And uh, the President himself was there, Secretary Año was there, but, but, but we know that these localized peace
0: talks uh, were tried before and yes. they didn't exactly succeed. No, no, this one. The surrender of the RPA is the result of a localized peace talk. Oh, but the, the bigger problem remained.
1: What do you mean? I mean the, the communist insurgency now. Ah, yes. No, uh, uh, much, as we, much as we want, sorry, much as we want to talk with them. Remember, government already started talking with them at the beginning. Mm. In fact, every request uh, was granted as much as, as, much as possible. You know, uh, members of the cabinet came from them, uh, undersecretaries and assistant secretaries, some of whom are still in government up to now mm. <laughs> and still being paid public money, you know, are still serving. And then uh, there were a lot of uh, a series of peace talks that were done by government. And yet, uh, and yet nothing happened. Precisely because of the insincerity on the part of the... They, it, it's always been the approach. Whenever they're uh, caught in a corner, they ask for peace talks because peace talks would allow them to orga- reorganize and re, um, reestablish their, their forces. And I think the perspective is that, at least from the government, they're just trying to get
0: as many benefits as possible under any sitting administration. Exactly. That is the allegation, right? Huh? Yes. Now as a final point. Uh, there, there there there's this perspective that the government was talking not to the right person or right group of persons. Because of course I heard this from you before also, that Joe Masson, who is in self exile in the Netherlands, is not exactly in control anymore. But certain high level officials of the Communist Party of the Philippines were also asked to join. The formal peace negotiations with really the Duterte administration. So, what happened? You had the Tiamson couple. The yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so what happened? Why did it collapse? Maybe, Sabin so weren't you talking with the
1: right persons? Uh, I think we were. I think we were talking to the right people because even though there's an there's this claim that uh, Joma Season is not in total control of the forces. Uh, those who were released upon the request of the NDF, the CPP NPA, uh, we were the primary, um, were the primary personalities uh, within the communist movement. No? But the uh, problem started when there really wasn't any movement on the part because there, there, um, we we were asking for a ceasefire. Um, they did not they didn't want any any ceasefire there, there then, was a
0: ceasefire at the start mm-hmm.
1: sure, but of course the government was asking for a bilateral ceasefire agreement exactly because there has to be some peace building efforts there has to be sincerity on the part of both sides and government wanted to go uh, the extra mile but they did not want to go the extra mile and I think the the cam- that the the blow that broke the camel's back was when the PSG uh, was uh, ambushed, ambushed. The, the convoy yes the, the convoy and um, the president himself expressed a lot of displeasure over this. You know, I think the president did all that he can. He invited all of them to Malakanyan. There was a lot of meetings there, uh, secret and otherwise. Uh, the president even went to their sonam <laughs> outside the batasan. Outside the batasan. Okay. So I think uh, everybody has lost patience already. Okay, well that was uh, an interesting discussion regarding the communist insurgency here in the
0: Philippines the problem well thank you very much other signatory uh, Jonathan Malaya for joining us thank this you Christian. thank salamat, you salamat that's it for today's episode of Matters of Fact I'm Christian Esquera see you again next week in this podcast